Hello, and welcome back to Something Rotten. This is the first episode of Season 4, and what game could we possibly be talking about but The Darkness, the 2007 Starbreeze Studios first-person comic book whatever. Blake and I have been eating hearts and taking names. Blake, what's up? Jacob, we got a barn burner to talk about this season, or at least this episode. We'll see how the rest of the episodes go, but... Quite a barn burner for episode one of season four here. I have been, I have been thinking about this game for a long time because this was one where before I, before I owned video game consoles and certainly before I was allowed to play video games that were rated M, I would just read about them and read about them in Game Informer. I'd like look up, you know, coolest the darkness final boss on youtube or whatever when i when i got my ipod touch and this has always just been one in the back of my mind where it's like i remember when that came out people said it was really good they said they really liked the story they said it was cool and and just you know i think partially because it's locked to an older generation of consoles i've just never gone back to it i've it's there's never been a point in my life where i was like i'm gonna play the darkness did you have any, like, association with this game? Do you know anything about it? No, not at all. I'm not really even sure I knew it existed until a couple of years ago. I'm I'm really good friends with freelance extraordinaire and founder of Into the Spine, Diego Arguello. And it was only when he started talking to me about the darkness, I would say charitably once or twice every single day for the past two to three years, yeah. <laughs> that I was like, what the hell is this game? So, like, I have no relationship with it. Is, is Diego, like, darkness number one stan? Okay, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna call him out really quick. So he's, like, a massive fan of the darkness, but I don't think mm-hmm. he's ever actually played the darkness. Oh, okay, so this is something that we'll talk about, because the darkness is a, a comic book character uh, that's been around for a surprisingly long time, uh, I found. Yeah, I looked it up. Diego is somewhat innocent. They played Ar- Darkness 2, but not Darkness 1, as far as I can tell. So, Which is also the case for me. I have played the Darkness 2, but okay. I have never played this game. This is my first time with any of them at all. And do you have the Darkness in real life? I've been meaning to ask you this as well. Like, did something happen to you on your 21st birthday where you had arms that grew out of your back and started talking to you? Yeah, that's why I had to go to rehab when I turned 24. (laughs) Oh, that's right. (laughs) I thought it was for alcohol. (laughs) Well, the darkness came for me on my 21st birthday, you might say. Um, So, what is is the darkness? Uh, In the first 10, 15 minutes of the game, you might think it's a shitty mafia game no hold on the first 10 to 15 minutes of this game are out of control they are so good oh yeah you think it's a great mafia (laughs) game (laughs) it is like the coolest opening to a game i've played in years it's 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 like what if a bunch of 13 year olds made a video game can you just walk us through this whole thing please Uh, yeah so i mean so it starts it just starts when you're in the car right Right. like there's nothing before that in media so it starts in media res. You are driving through presumably like the Lincoln Tunnel or something, but it's like a really long tunnel filled with cars. You're you're in in a car with just two of the most comically mafia pilled dudes who have ever existed. Just like every 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 single character in this game who is like. A human in the present is named like Dutch Oven Harry yeah. or something. Dropping ableist slurs, you know. It's it's not. It hasn't aged well. <laughs> oh, 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 just constantly. Um, yeah. But you're in you're in this tunnel, and your car is just like the guy driving is just weaving around and through traffic in the most unhinged way. Of like, look, we've all seen people drive dangerously. To do that in a tunnel where there are like two lanes and just be like swerving in and out of traffic is nuts. And then you piss off the cops. And so then you just start blasting. You just start shooting at them. So I just started blasting. And, and yeah, it's this really like, I mean, the first, the first note that I wrote was very committed to first person physicality. 
where it's like one of the one of the cool things about this scene and and uh, you know I in general how the game story is told is like this isn't a game where you are like a floating set of limbs you know you like you really have a body and if you look down you see the body and in the cutscenes they you know clearly have kind of a, a animation rig for the whole thing and so when you're being thrown around in this eventually you know you get a shotgun you're shooting as well but it's like i i I think part of the reason that this feels so kind of not just oh it's kooky video game starting but like you know actually kind of a cool action scene is because it feels like your guy is a guy in the car yeah i mean like this game has an incredible this goes beyond just Jackie Estacado as a character but like it has an incredible sense of place and you feel like very grounded in your character throughout this world especially like never cutting and giving you even though it's like the most basic kind of look around controls like it immediately roots you in this hell on earth they've created yeah so okay so this this starts you uh you learn that you're kind of going to like do a hit with these two other guys. Your name is Jackie Estacado. Uh you it's your 21st birthday. You have um a 40-year-old's voice. Uh but that <laughs> that doesn't matter. You're 21. Um and and the beginning of the game you're going to do a hit on some guy because that's what you do. And amazingly, I didn't actually know this when I started the game, but uh this is the prequel to Hatred because Jackie Estacado and the main character of Hatred are identical twins. They look exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, you are very much. It's funny. It's funny that everyone else in the game is like, you know, Mafia Harry. Yeah. And you are like wearing Neo's coat from the Matrix and have long, straight, dark hair. I mean, it's like. It it is like Neo has like the girl from the rings, you know, hairstyle. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think it's more like Deadlock, Deathlock, Death Clock. That cartoon, the metal cartoon on Adult Swim. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not familiar with this. No. Oh man, it's like that seems to be what they're pulling from. Which is, like, a really strange... Well, no, what they're pulling from is the comic, and it's coming from, like, 90s image, where everyone was just, right. like, a Trent Reznor look-alike, but... Um... Yeah, but, I mean, it is it is just this this kind of, like, visual discrepancy of, like, the other guys you're talking to look like old Italian guys, and then you and your girlfriend look like, you know, goth punk kids, essentially. It's like, oh, your girlfriend has, like, a lip piercing, which yeah. is not kind of how we think of the typical like mob girl uh because she's not she's uh she's she's separate um so you go you do this hit i i just want to speed through kind of this sure. setup so we can get talking about it you you're doing this hit uh oh you get blown up oh no um and then on your way back seemingly triggered by nothing at all you're you're kind of just like going through a graveyard you fight some guys and then you get possessed by the darkness, just kind of, just kind of out of nowhere. You just like walk into a shadow, and suddenly there's this this uh, demony voice, and you've sprouted two tentacles that come in on either side of the screen that have like moray eel faces or whatever, except they're all shadowy. And you just uh, rip a bunch of dudes apart with your darkness powers, and from then on. You have the darkness, and it takes a long time before he's even like, hey, what's going on with this? Dear listener, if you feel like we've thrown you into the deep end with this episode, jumping straight into it. That's how the darkness opens. It is inscrutable for the first hour. It's just like, what the fuck is happening? Mainly because Jackie Estacado, a man who must comment on everything, does not comment on the one big question you have, which is, <laughs> right. why is there a demon growing out of my back? Right. Like, he is not he is not a silent protagonist, and he's gonna tell you, like, how he feels about his cousin yeah. and how he feels about his uncle, but, like... Not going to mention that that suddenly he is a superhero. It is truly one of the strangest choices in this game, full of weird choices. It almost makes me wonder if 
there was a point where they were going to make you play much longer mm. without the darkness and then they then they realized that the gameplay without the darkness is not that interesting and so they wanted to give it to you early because it's yeah it, it it's you know because eventually in like chapter 2 it actually really gets into it right. and and like the end of chapter 1 the darkness is a very important character but until then just kind of nothing um but once the darkness comes in, the the kind of the game of the gameplay comes in because previous to this, it's just been a very normal shooter where you just you got dual pistols, you got a shotgun, right. you shoot guys. That's it. Uh, certainly in those beginning, I don't know if you felt like this, Blake. I was like, wow, I am fragile. You know yeah. that that you died real quick yeah. in that beginning section. But that is because once you get the darkness, the darkness provides a shield for you, provided you are standing in the dark. And so what I started doing, and I think what the game intends you to do, is you walk into a place, there are a bunch of guys, and you don't aim at the guys. Instead, you just start shooting out light bulbs. <laughs> did, you, did you also do this? Yeah, I mean, the game, you have to, and it's, it's, it's not fun shooting out lights everywhere you go it's cumbersome and boring but yeah it's, the game will not work if you don't spend the entire time putting yourself in the dark which also it doesn't compensate for visually you just are literally in the dark and then you run against a lot of walls for the rest of the game trying to find your exit that does happen i honestly i just think shooting out light bulbs in video games is fun like I, it's kind sure. of like a breaking a box for me, where I'm just like, haha. I think it's, it's fun as a, a little thing I can do to mess with the world. As a central mechanic of a game, I'm not sure I enjoy it very much. Yeah, a kind of uh, an interesting clash between like art design and uh, and and mechanic mechanical design here is. The game has a pretty realistic style. Like, yeah. I think this is a pretty good-looking PS3 game or whatever. And as such, there are a lot of light sources around most scenes because, like, that's how real life works. Is that, yeah. like, in most rooms there are, like, multiple lamps. But that means that when you go into those rooms, all of those things are casting light. And if you want to make it dark, you've got to shoot out like four light bulbs per room. Jacob, before we get much deeper. Yes. Can we talk about the background of what the darkness is and where this came from? Because I went into this game completely blind. And after the first chapter, I was like, I have to read Mm -hmm. what on earth is happening. Um, yes, go ahead. So uh, the darkness was developed by... Starbreeze, which still exists, I think is like mainly a publisher these days, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, back back in the early 2000s, they kind of hit the scene with a Chronicles of Riddick adaptation, which was a early, uh, like, I don't know what you would call it, sci-fi kind of thriller starring Vin Diesel. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, obviously Vin Diesel had his, his big... Uh, riddick movie uh yeah yeah have you, have you seen uh pitch is pitch black the first one yeah no i haven't seen it maybe honestly maybe we should do that for the bonus episode okay i'd be <laughs> kind, down kind of a silly movie um yeah but i i mean chronicles of riddick is is almost like immersive simmy right like that it's you know it's a very it's a stealth game held in very high regard that's i've never played it but i do remember that one coming out very well because uh the the x the X-Play review is, like, burned into my memory, thinking, like, uh -huh. games can look like this? I can't believe they came up with that weird bald guy. I'll never see him again. That's crazy. Who is that? <laughs> with, like, you know, I was, like, eight or nine, no comprehension of Vin Diesel. You're certainly not going to see him on ten identical movie posters <laughs> for ten <laughs> successive franchise movies. Yeah, so Starbreeze is kind of interesting because... Especially the core team working on The Darkness and, I, I assume, Chronicles of Riddick. A lot of those developers went on to either A, found, or work at Machine Games on the Wolfenstein games, which 
I think you can see some of the DNA in the darkness oh, in Wolfenstein. For sure. Yeah, we can we can definitely get into this, but I, yeah. I totally agree. So I noted uh Darkness's producer Lars Johansson was the head of production and the managing director on the new Wolfenstein games, and the Darkness's art director was the creative director on the New Order and New Colossus. And there are other crossovers there, but that uh, there's an interesting through line in the Darkness's sense of place and just how well it kind of fleshes out its world and explores its characters that you see expanded on to much greater degrees, you know, a decade later when they were making the new Wolfenstein games. Uh, but the Darkness is similar to Wolfenstein, honestly, not their world. This is an adaptation of a comic series that first started in 1996 in, what was it? We have it written down here. Witchblade episode. Witchblade. Uh, Witchblade issue 10, and then later came out as his own standalone comic in 1998, published by Image from one of their studios, Top Cow. Do you know anything? I know I wrote a bunch here for our notes, but do you know anything about Image? No, I know I know nothing about Top Cow. So okay. I would I would love to learn some. Image Comics was founded by seven artists who were primarily known for their work in the probably late 80s, definitely early to mid-90s for Marvel. This includes Todd McFarlane, who kind of defined the if you think of the way Spider-Man moves and the way he kind of flails his like limbs around, uh-huh. that actually more or less starts with how Todd McFarlane was drawing him in the 90s. The way he's like very exaggerated. Uh, Jim right. Lee was also part of that, who has done like every comic you've probably ever read. Rob Liefeld, the creator of Deadpool. Um, Eric Larson, Jim Valentino, and then... Will Portacci? I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce this last one. But these were all like really big names in the comic industry uh, who also were not enjoying the way the standard comic industry at the time was going and said, you know what? We're out. We're starting our own company. This was an unprecedented move to just be like, you know what? No more DC, no more Marvel. We're we're doing our own thing. They founded this company called Image, which was a little radical in that, like, its two big pillars were Image will not own the IP we publish and no Image founder. So, like, if Jim Lee's working on something, Todd McFarlane, just because he's also a founder of the company, he cannot meddle creatively or financially with another founder's work. That's really interesting. Yeah, each founder went on to set up their own autonomous studios, that, you know, did comics and were then p- later published by Image. Um, there is a ton of history with Image just as a company and what it meant to the comic book industry that I recommend people look up because we have to bypass all the drama and bullshit that went on and crazy stuff. Um, sci-fi, weirdly enough, on their YouTube channel has like an amazing multi-part documentary that interviews all the image dudes about it. Um, It's fantastic. Mm. I really recommend Mm -hmm. it, even if you're not a huge comic person. Um, The point is, Top Cow was one of these, started by Rick Silvestrini, and one of their comics was The Darkness. And what I think is interesting is The Darkness is like not created in a vacuum and is a product of the 1990s comic industry, which if you think back, you probably start to think about a bunch of dark, edgy comics that was very indicative of the time. I mean, right. a big one that we still have is Spawn. Like Todd McFarlane's Spawn kind of defined mm-hmm. this era of comics. But there were others like Savage Dragon, that, probably a lot that we don't remember. The Darkness. I think even Batman comics started to like really go this way and lean more into the gothic nature and gothic influence of that. Um I was thinking about it last night, though, and the gate, like, 10 years later, the game industry was going through a similar shift towards these, like, very edgy adult... Right, well, that's, I mean, that is effectively what this right, podcast right, is about, right. is, is like, you know, the, the something rotten of the comics industry just happened a little earlier you know, in, in its own, in its own time frame than, than the games industry. Right, so, like... There was this big push to, I think, make more mature stories in games. And as these things mm-hmm. often happen in their infancy, people lean on 
edgy content over like more thoughtfully <laughs> mature content right and like i like the darkness of story just fine it's not the deepest thing in the world but it is interesting to see that in that first big push the darkness this comic that for all intents and purposes never left a huge stamp on pop culture uh was chosen as an adaptation for a video game you know that came from the comic industry doing the same thing. There, uh, there is this interview that that I uh, grabbed that was actually done by Chris Remo, which is funny because yeah, yeah. You know, Chris Remo is now a big, big man in the uh, games industry. But he was talking to uh, you know some of the 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 dev, excuse me. He was talking to some of the developers of this game, and and what they said, which was really fascinating, is after Riddick, we wanted to work on a next generation title. And it was basically most publishers wanted in-house teams to do that because they were so early in development. So we didn't have many options. So we worked with this agent who had just gotten the Darkness IP and was approaching publishers with it. And it fit us perfectly. So it's like, that's a very funny reason to be like, why are you working on the Darkness? And they're like, we wanted to make a game for Xbox 360 and PS3. And no one would let us do that because Microsoft and Sony were only doing in-house development at that time. And so we just took NIP. Like, you know, the the devs have talked about, like, they did not really read, like, none of them had familiarity with the comics beforehand. Oh, yeah. They didn't really have any direct, like, c- communication with the people who were making the comics at the time. And so it's like, it's one of those things where I feel like now people would get so pissy about of being mm-hmm. like oh pedro pascal hasn't even played the last of us game like fuck that guy you know but here it's just kind of like no oh, we just want to make a game and someone offered us the darkness and we thought neat <laughs> and dark edgy games really fit what game developers were into at the time which is at least my theory mm-hmm. and it's also i mean it's just like in the in the time frame of game development it's interesting to think about this game coming out in 2007, but then them starting development on it when the next-gen consoles were so new yeah. that, like, they couldn't get an in with Microsoft or Sony. So it's just, it's like, game development takes a long time. It's always the the answer of, like, basically any story about stuff. is like, yeah, this thing, they, they made Riddick, and they were like, we want to jump to the next console, which will happen like four years from now. Tell us a little more about the development of this game. I, this is something I didn't read too much into. I mean, so we don't know a ton about it. I mean, they, you know, they just, they haven't done many interviews. Mm. There aren't many retrospectives being done on the darkness. Um, but there was definitely this intent to do a really, a really story focused and a really kind of, cinematic maybe in some ways game you know one of uh one of the developers says that they were going for in the style of half-life but far more dramatic which is you know if you think about what half-life meant there it is this like one unbroken perspective game you know the story is happening to you in first person people aren't you know i noted this because the game actually does cut to a third person perspective pretty frequently if you're like climbing up a ladder or something it will show third person but like in conversations yeah it's not cutting to a third person cutscene camera the characters are just looking right at you and talking well um it does sometimes well i think in the loading screens he's talking to the camera but it's like when you're just talking to an npc in the world no main main npcs like um jenny and when you meet your uncle later it will cut to mm-hmm. third person as you're selecting i think i don't think so i mean i i i think that it's it's inconsistent okay that's you know, a good generally because yeah. a lot of a lot of the jenny stuff is first person but i do think there's also some some third person stuff but i think where you can see the half-life influence even more and like one of the really neat things that we'll talk about with this is like this game has a functioning subway system where <laughs> yeah. you like get on a subway and then it will like take you to another stop and then you can get off mm-hmm. in in this really kind of like it doesn't it doesn't feel like the game is skipping time for you yeah. it feels like when you go somewhere you are walking all the way there um and and i also along with that um another thing that they talked about in one of these interviews was they were talking about something we kind of take for granted now they called a vocap system which was doing motion capture and voice capture at the same time oh. because 
for, you know, for people who are only familiar with, like, you know, new big game development, it might come as a surprise that, like, very often the person doing the motion capture for a character was not the person doing the voice for that character and would certainly not happen at the same time, even if they were. And so you have these scenes. One of the one of the kind of interesting stylistic things this game does is during loading screens, you get these almost like documentary interview segments with with Jackie, where he's like sitting in the dark and he's essentially speaking right to camera you know he's he kind of addresses it to jenny his girlfriend mm -hmm. but he's like he's talking to camera and they're generally very well animated like yeah. they're really you know it's like it looks good and i think part of that is because you have the same actor who is kirk acevedo acevedo um doing doing both the the voice and the motion simultaneously and it's all in this kind of pursuit of making a pretty, you know, a very story-focused first-person game. That this game is not, you know, it, it's not an early Doom. It's not a early Wolfenstein. Mm -hmm. You know, it is kind of th this thing that we almost don't have anymore, which is like a really, you know, lengthy, story-centric first-person shooter. And the closest analog to that I can think of would be the modern Wolfenstein games. Yeah. You know, that those are kind of doing the same thing. And I think it's it's worth st stating now, it's the biggest draw of the game is the story and world it has to offer. For sure. I had such a wild moment with this game where I, I finished playing what I needed to play on Tuesday, and I was like, man, this game is not fun. I do not enjoy playing this. And then I woke up the next morning and was bummed i couldn't play more because i needed to wait because i was so into the world and story and that almost never happens um it is a land of contrasts with the darkness how did you feel about it yeah i i think the you know the the gameplay is uh serviceable essentially sure. that it's just like you know it you got guns, and you can shoot them, and eventually you get darkness powers, and they're sometimes useful and sometimes not. But it's not... I, I, I wouldn't recommend the game to anyone based on that. The darkness, like, I don't... The darkness powers never feel as cool as you think they are. You know, they're always yes. like... They're always like, here's a tail to knock lights out with. <laughs> it's like, man, uh -huh. I have a demon growing out of my back. A demon as old as time... Growing out of my back, yeah. and I can't use it to just, like, bite a dude's head off? You're out of your fucking mind. Yeah, and, and I will say, I haven't played 2 in many years, but I do remember them really amping that shit up in 2, so I have high hopes for that. Um, but, you know, it's like, so so the gameplay, it's fine. It's whatever. It, it's just kind of, like, not memorable, and most most encounters is just me shooting guys in the head with my dual pistols yeah. you know like that's that's basically how it goes down but the i mean right off the bat there's this thing the game does that i was just so kind of taken by where like you know you you get out on the subway station and like jenny calls you actually she pages you. Oh, yeah. And I wrote oh, down, yeah. this game has a pager, exclamation point. And you're <laughs> holding up this little tiny thing that you get, like, text messages on. And I just thought that was awesome. Um, but she she tells you, like, hey, come over here. And the game does not have a mini-map. And it doesn't have a, like, a dotted line for you to follow. It just gives you street directions. Mm -hmm. And then you have to, like look at street signs and figure out where you're going which is i just i really did not expect you yeah. know i i just like had no idea that this game would be going for a complete enough feeling world that they could be like get to the alley and turn left and then i'll have parked my car down there and then you can like do that and actually see the parked car. We talked about this briefly uh, when talking about Manhunt One, especially in relation to like Max Payne, but also like Manhunt kind of gets to this. I don't know if this is an offensive way to categorize this, but for lack of a better term, uh, this game has the return of European New York, 
which is just like European studios who make games based in New York yep. with no mm-hmm. real idea ostensibly what New York is like. And basically it's like, hey, welcome to New York. You're in fucking hell. Yeah. And man, I just love it. I love this. I love the world of this game so much. Like the subways are really cool and feel like from my limited experience, very faithfully recreated. But the worlds are just like the city layout that makes no sense where you feel consumed by just brick and asphalt. And there's like everything is kind of a maze where restaurants and alleys and streets all kind of feed into each other organically in ways that like Mm -hmm. don't really make sense. I am obsessed with this game's world. Yeah, I think that this this New York specifically, it feels very very noir yeah you know which i think actually fits with the game is that like you have these really shadowy streets you know lit by a couple street lamps and then during the you know process of gunplay you'll probably like shoot out those street lamps or whatever but it's like it's foggy it's dark i i think one of the things that i have just consistently been surprised by is like there is just effort in mm-hmm. this game that you can kind of feel in one of the ways that we were talking about with Manhunt 2, we were just like, it feels like no one cared about this game. Yeah. You know, like the darkness just has things like one thing. It's just this like little thing that I wrote down, but I was like, this is someone spent time on this is like when you pause the game, there is this pause menu that comes up and behind the pause menu is like these writhing tentacles. But in fact, the shadows of the words that it says on the pause menu are, like, cast onto the tentacles. Did oh, you notice this? No, I did not. Where it's, like, it says, like, pause, options, you know, load game. But then if you look at the tentacles behind it, there are these kind of, like, shadows that are that are morphed by the writhing tentacles of those things that say, like, pause, options, load game. And it's just, like, that took someone time. You know, no one yeah. had to do that. The game did not, like you know go up a metacritic point because the pause menu casts shadows but it just like there's effort and another one of these that's in the subway station that i think is so cool is there's an information desk or like a like a kiosk right and you can go there and be like hey how do i get to like maple street and then the desk will say like take the subway exit to here and then turn right and you'll be on Maple Street. And it's, it's you can do that to like almost any location in the game. So uh, there's there's a quote in the New York Times like pseudo review of this. It seems it actually seemed to be an article just talking about games where you had little minions. But like they kind of like uh-huh. <laughs> they also kind of reviewed the game and it. it's a weird article. But they said part of the darkness's charm is its wealth of extravagant, often irrelevant detail. And I think that is like truly it that is the reason to play this game and stick with it because the gameplay is not going to do you any fucking favors at this point but like this game it does more than a lot of games coming out today just to root you and it's like weird nasty view of new york um a big talking point of course is just that you can watch full ass movies in this game which i discovered organically i'm glad like you find a TV early on in the subway, and I was flipping through channels. I was like, oh, there's a few music videos in this. And then a movie started, and I was like, oh, is this going to be like Max Payne, where it's effectively like a three-minute slideshow, and I just fill in the blanks. And then I was like, oh, that's Frank Sinatra on the screen, and he's walking. And holy shit, this went on for 10 minutes. The whole movie is in here. That uh-huh. is crazy. And later, later, if you want, you can watch a movie with Ginny. The game... No action, just, like, you go to Ginny's apartment, she's like, hey, just sit with me for a little while. She turns on the TV, and if you want, you can, like, sit there with her and watch an entire movie, and she'll lay her head on your chest and make small, idle chat. Like, it is, I don't know, it's amazing, too strong a word to just be like... It's, well, no, this is, I mean, this is the number one talking point that I remember from when this game came out. Not even look at all these details, just... There is a scene in this game where you sit down on a couch with your girlfriend and you can watch all of To Kill a Mockingbird. Just the whole movie beginning to end. When it turns on, it is the opening credits, which I do have to say, one of my favorite opening credit sequences Mm -hmm. ever is To Kill a Mockingbird. They're just like so 
kind of beautiful and, and artistic in a way that you don't expect. But it's like, yeah, and, and it's not... What's even better is the game world does not feel like it freezes. You know, it's like you can hear mm-hmm. cars and, like, sirens outside, and Jenny moves around, and she says things, and, and whatever. And if you sit there for, like, you know, just a couple minutes more than you have to, you, like, kiss her, which looks pretty funky <laughs> from the animation, but it's, like, you know, it, it, it pushes past... It pushes past the jankiness of the animation mm-hmm. to feel like a genuinely tender moment. And it's just, yeah, it, it's it's my favorite part of the game. I'm and I think it is if you say like when I when I told our friend AJ Moser that we were gonna be playing this, he was like, Oh, I've been meaning to rewatch to kill a mockingbird. Because like that yeah. is the thing that people know about this game. We we could fill like an entire episode of this season with just the little details and interactions you can have in this game. Like there are, you know, break dancers you can stumble upon and watch. There is, you know, all these people in the subway that you can either talk to or that are going about their lives. Like the game is Uh, Like the New York Times said, full of these mostly irrelevant things that go a long way in making the game worth playing that the uh, gameplay does not. One of one of them is uh, you find these these like secrets Mm -hmm. just everywhere, you know, these little slips of paper and they're like, you know, their concept art, they're whatever. But you don't just pick up the piece of paper and then it says unlocked concept art. You have to, at least in the first level you pick up these pieces of paper and it's a phone number yeah. and then you go to a payphone and you dial the payphone number and for every single individual secret of which there are dozens you get like a different prank phone call like it's yeah. it's like you call someone and they're like hey is your refrigerator running ha 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 or like but it's like they're all different you know and and i listened to like all of them and it's just so funny and then it also has the thing where the the payphone you can just punch in any number and and like see what happens and so i'm sure there are a bunch of like cheat codes or secrets in there that i haven't looked up but like you know immediately i like punched in 911 and like you got a conversation no shit just because you can which is yeah it's just so you know it is it is i think while it is not an immersive sim in the different ways that you have in a, of approaching a yeah. situation, it is an immersive simulation of a place, you know, where it just feels like there are things that exist beyond the bounds of the game. There are there are all these incidental, like, or I guess not incidental, there are all these, like, conversations you can eavesdrop on, and uh, one that stood out to me was two men in a mafia hangout pontificating if you will on uh whether or not you could pay a horse 10 million dollars and it would have sex with you (laughs) and of course they settled upon well the horse would definitely say yes but only if it had the communication and thought abilities of a human and then they settled on the idea that the most likely place you would be able to do this would be sweden of course starbreeze is from sweden (laughs) So just a funny little detail there. So uh, Jackie, our main character, has this incredibly understated uh, vocal delivery the whole time where every just every line he says, he's just kind of like, hey, you know, I was thinking, can you keep Jenny safe for me or whatever? And he he doesn't sound 21 and he does sound like someone just doing their impression of kind of a guy in the mafia. But. I think uh, most of the other voice acting is really, really good. Mm-hmm. You know, like all of all of the kind of side characters that you meet, and I do like that you you have multiple dialogue choices with most of them that don't change the direction of the story, but you can just like ask them more stuff. And there's also a a little a little gag that I always think is kind of effective is like. When when you're with Jenny, one of them is to say I love you, but then if you choose that, he like won't say it, you know. And so it's it's kind of like ah, oh, Jackie's you know he's repressing his feelings. He doesn't want to get like too emotionally invested or whatever. So we put a pin in it earlier, 
but Jacob, can you pick the the story back up from when we get our darkness powers? Right. So when we, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna have trouble because there's a lot of there's a lot of just like mafia stuff that happens. But essentially, what you find out is that your uncle has put a hit out on you. Mm-hmm. You know that that you're just you are no longer in the good graces of of your uncle who runs you know one of the one of the mob families around here. And so you kind of fight your way back and eventually you get back to uh, your apartment where your loving girlfriend Jenny is. It's your birthday. She's made you a cake. Um, but you are worried because, you know, it's <laughs> there's a hit out on you and you want to you want to keep her safe more than anything. That's kind of what what he keeps reinforcing is like, I don't care about me, but I, I care about Jenny. And so you go and you meet a number of other uh mafiosos you meet uh you meet the guy who disposes of all the bodies for just everyone it's this it's this very funny kind of almost almost feels like pulp fiction you know cleaner or whatever where he's just like he doesn't take one side or the other no one attacks him he just gets rid of all the bodies and he's just this guy who's like talking to you while slinging body bags (laughs) jack you know i don't take any sides but if i was to kill the guy you need to kill this is the incredibly detailed and specific way in which I would do it. Yeah. Um, that, that kind of guy. That, that kind of guy. Um, then this does our, our um, you know, how, how many games on Something Rotten have involved killing cops? Is it all of them? I think so at this point, yeah. Okay, so uh, the darkness follows in that royal tradition <laughs> where um, there... I almost felt like I did this... Uh, this this situation wrong where you're just in a dark restaurant and there are a bunch of cops that pull up outside and they're like hey we know someone's in there come out and i was like i'm just gonna stay in here and they won't even know and then they drive a truck through the wall (laughs) and and you just you start blasting uh Um, i i had a real annoying moment with this part of the game where you know, most video games these days, you'd walk into that room and there'd maybe be a, a little bit of ammo just in case you need it. That's uh, it, not the case in the darkness. And I had a woefully low amount of ammo in here. And it took me about five tries just to kill these three shotgun wielding SWAT cops yep. quickly enough and efficiently enough that I could pick up their shotgun before everyone else comes in. And I swear I must have been doing this with at most seven bullets. It was a nightmare. It, it's a a strange thing that kind of doesn't really happen anymore for like non-survival horror games to still have very limited ammo. Yeah. You know, I feel like mostly when you play a first-person shooter game now, it's like you're never going to run out of ammo unless unless it is Resident Evil or like Dead Space. Yeah. You're just going to have infinite bullets all the time. And like that is it's true later on, but like for for the opening levels of the darkness, you are really scrounging. Um but you do have these darkness powers, um, the first of which is you can send out a little head that crawls on the floor, and it can, like, jump on a guy and eat him. I um, can't... And you get the... Ab- do you... Are you ever able to get that to work? I... It, like, like you know, the three situations where the game clearly telegraphs, like, sneak yeah. up on this guy, but I can never use it in a normal combat situation. Okay. Um, there are also these darkness portals on the ground that you can summon... Uh, minions from Mm -hmm. and and this is this is another kind of like entertaining part of the game is you have i think four you know in total Mm -hmm. four different guys you can summon and they all have very different personalities and like vocal performances and whatever you essentially have a melee one a gun one a kamikaze one and then later one that can like shoot out all the lights um but like they're they're just these little these little goblin men that run around and will like kill people but will also like talk to you and it's they are they are full of personality i don't know if this is a reference to the comic or just something uh starbreeze put in here but i believe the gunner one uh hates communists is always talking about how they want to shoot the commies have you noticed this i think yeah i think the gunner one is like just kind of a uh, uh like like the joke is that they're like a super military yeah, dude, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know so so it's yeah it's just it feels like it's like you know the weird macho guy in vietnam like turned into 
uh, a gremlin. It is very <laughs> strange when you first encounter it, though, and you're just in, like, a back alley of New York, and someone's a little goblin's talking about how we need to kill communists. I'm like, well, I, don't, I don't think that's right. I, right. I think they're not on that side. Um, but then I feel like probably the most significant thing, well, you go to, like, Dutch Oven Harry tells you to go talk to a guy, and you have this conversation with a guy, and he immediately decides that he also wants to kill you. <laughs> what did you, the, the, did you feel like something more was supposed to happen here? Yes. Uh, the the way the game shifts so quickly is like something games don't really do anymore. Usually there maybe be a cut scene where you would go behind cover or something. But this guy is on the phone, and then within I would say about a microsecond, he just kills you. It's like, what the hell happened? Yeah, he's kind of, he's talking to you. He's like, hey, Jackie, you know, we're family, but uh, not anymore. Bam, bam, bam. And it's just like, if you don't know that's going to happen, you you just die. Yeah, the way around it is like, I guess to die and then the second time kill him before the conversation ends. Otherwise, you're not making <laughs> right. it through. It's crazy. Um, but I think the most memorable part of this level, other than just kind of going through the New York City subways and streets, is you you go to this old orphanage that you uh, you learn that both Jackie and um, and his girlfriend were were raised in the same mm -hmm. orphanage, and you go through. And I think it's a law that whenever there is an orphanage in a game, there have to be little ghosts of the past that run around and you see, like, flashbacks of, and that certainly does happen here. That's right. We learn here that this is where Jackie's uncle pulled him from to put mm -hmm. him into a life of crime. And I like your note here that Nolan North voices little Jackie. It's very right. funny. Yeah, they, they didn't get a child to voice young Jackie. <laughs> they did get... Uh, voice actor in every video game ever made nolan north to do it well look nolan north seems like a good guy but he is most famous for playing an emotionally stunted man so this kind of checks out <laughs> that's true um but then i would say it's like you know most of the individual plot beats of the story in this opening chapter i didn't care about until they uh they do the thing that I didn't know was going to happen because this is like the other thing that people talk about. But uh, you're you're wandering through this orphanage um, and you know that, you know, your uncle and some other guy have like taken Jenny here. Mm -hmm. And you see them, you walk up and you can see through like the glass of a door, them kind of torturing her and you're about to go kill him. And the darkness stops you. This is the first time that the darkness kind of shows that it not only has agency, but can, like, you know, do things that you don't want it to do or whatever. And so the darkness holds you back and you watch them brutally murder Jenny. Um, and then you just put a fucking gun in your mouth and pull the trigger. <laughs> yeah, I did not know this was coming. And I, I want to I hang on this moment for a second. Because mm -hmm. I did not know this moment was coming. It was shocking, for sure. It was very tense. It stood out to me. I think playing it, you know, however many, a decade plus removed from it, it does not have the impact it probably did back then. But when I was reading reviews, this was talked about in such grand terms and so across the board But I was, that I was like, this must have hit like a fucking ton of bricks. Like Andrew Reiner and his review for the illustrious Game Informer, who these days only employs the most beautiful of men, <laughs> uh, uh, me, said, There are moments in this game, one in particular, that will be the talk of the gaming world. It's one of the most emotionally charged and intense sequences that I have ever seen. And that goes for movies as well. Now, hyperbole perhaps aside... I do wonder, what did you know about this moment in terms of, like, the time it came out? Because that's a big statement, and I, I don't know if I agree about the movie portion of it, but, like, compared to other 2007 games, this feels wild. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the reason that it hits is what we talked about earlier, that, that they make such a human moment yeah. out of Jenny because it's like I mean we should say this is this is the most classic example of fridging 
you know the t- sure. the trope where it's like it's like oh kill kill your girlfriend kill your wife in the first you yeah. know first 10 seconds and so then you're motivated through the rest of the story and like you know this happens in Max Payne this happens in The Last of Us this happens in you know any number of other games yeah. that you can think of but usually the the woman being killed is not given almost any any character other than uh, a woman who dies. I mean, certainly in like, like, you know, we talked about in Kane and Lynch one where it's, it is revealed that Kane has a wife and they reveal that seconds before they murder her. And it's like, well, I don't know who that lady is. In God of War 2018, famously, they didn't care about the woman in the fridge so much that she never even talked in that first game. She was dead by the right. time the game started. It was like, she doesn't matter at all. Um, So, so the fact that they, you know, that, that, this world is so mean, and Jenny is uh, nice, but also that they give you, like, time with her if you want mm-hmm. the entire length of the movie To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. Um, you know, like, I, I think that's what makes this hit more than those other examples. And I do also think the, you know, the trope of having to watch helplessly, uh, you know, is is powerful, but I also think it's it's particularly poignant here because it is the thing that you have been using to like give you power, you know, like even though we talked about the darkness is not actually that fun to play with, uh, you know, mechanically, but it is like, it is your superpower through the game. And so that little twist of the knife of being like this superpower stopping you from doing it, you know, I, I think it, I think it does land its moment even though i absolutely would probably not call it the most impactful moment in media sure i i I don't agree with reiner there but i do agree at least based on what i've seen reading reviews you know retroactively a decade later that it was the talk of the gaming world he clocked that he was correct there yeah and a, a little surprised it doesn't stand it's not talked about more in video games these days i don't know if just like it's been bested over the years but i think it's more that just this franchise has disappeared from cultural memory like i do think if you talk to people who had played the darkness they would all remember this moment yeah i think it's more just that no one talks about the darkness anymore I, i do think like to Reiner's credit, this will be one of the moments I remember very vividly from this game because it is very arresting. And also, if I were to play, if I played this in 2007, this probably would have made my jaw break when it hit the floor. Yeah, and so, and then for me, because it's like, I knew Jenny died, but I really did not expect the next moment, which is he yeah. turns around and there's a mirror in the room and the mirror works, which is always fun for video very games good, to be like, good. does the mirror work? But he looks in the mirror and he puts his gun in his mouth and pulls the trigger, which is just, like, a really shocking thing to see in a game. You know, it's like, I, I, we we see other characters die all the time, but, like, I was surprised to see that that felt more visceral to me than what had just happened, actually. I think there's, like, there, there's, there's strength in that moment. It, it, it's honestly, it kind of reminds me of the scene in The First Last of Us where uh, Sam kills himself. Uh, right. And it's... It's such a shocking moment where the person is not willing to deal with grief. They are immediately like, hey, you know what? That's all I had. I'm done. Like, And yes. that creates – we're very used to watching people die in video games, but watching people kill themselves, especially as immediately as this. Well, and, and like because of grief. Right, you know, specifically, is like a very, a very human emotion that games don't usually do. It's a very visceral feeling you feel when you see someone immediately flip from like Jackie was like, "I'm going to save her. I am the hero." To hey, you took the only thing that mattered to me, so I'm done. Like you, you feel that in your chest, you know. And Jackie had said kind of before, like you know, before this happens, he was like, "Hey, you know, Jenny, only thing that's keeping me going, mm-hmm. only good thing in this world," and so to see that essentially he was he was not lying there yeah you know is is yeah this just kind of shocking moment um but of course that is simply the end of chapter one of the darkness and not the end of the whole game uh and you wake up you wake up in nightmare world world war one welcome to hell (laughs) i this 
I don't know if this was the plan, but when I saw this happening, I was like, is this a play on the saying war is hell? Hell is war? Is that what they're trying to tell me here? What is this? I do think, I mean, this is another thing that feels very inspired, but also incredibly comic booky. Yeah. Of yeah. like there being there being this kind of like limbo hell world and the the way that that manifests is it looks like World War One trench warfare and you're like running into these even the kind of like good guys have these like weird stitched together faces yeah. where it looks like they're you know they're made out of like dead body parts or whatever and there are these kind of I mean they literally refer to them as zombies and they are uh, presumably uh, Nazis. Uh, and so you have you have these Nazi zombies just like wandering around the battlefield and you're killing them. And it is, you know, like gameplay wise, not that fun. No, but I have to give it a lot of credit for them so clearly establishing New York in the first part of the game and then going somewhere with a completely different vibe just like could not be more different. yeah i mean you're in europe if it was built in you know the seventh circle of hell it's an it's yeah. a wild setting so i don't think we need to we, there's not nearly as much to say about uh this moment i did note there's you know these these cool little touches are still there of like you go into a trench and there's like a guy playing harmonica oh i didn't see like, that Cool. It's it's cool. It's just this like neat little like, you know, NPC doing things. But essentially you run into your like great great grandfather who mm. knows who you are for whatever reason and it's like, "Jackie, hey, oh, you got the darkness. That sucks. Here's <laughs> the deal with the darkness. Uh I got it when I was 21. I like made a deal. I but I didn't think it would spread to our family, but it did. So now Everyone in our family gets the darkness when they're 21. It's also the first time Jackie acknowledges the darkness, despite the immense trauma it has put him through for the yep. like few hours before. He's like, hey, by the way, I got this doc. I got this weird growth on my back. Can you check it out? Is, <laughs> is that okay? And yeah, his grandpa's like, nah, you're fucked, bro. Sorry. <laughs> you got the darkness. Sorry, Jackie. <laughs> um, and then you go. So he gives you a mission, which is to... Uh, obtain two weapons that can control the darkness uh which it turns out are a five minute walk from where they are right now i really thought it was going to be a bigger part of the game <laughs> man <laughs> but you just kind of walk up a hill and there's this you know this this pillar that has three dudes crucified like one on top of each other on it uh and you talk to one and they give you the darkness guns and they rock let's talk about that actually shooting the you have like they have two different firing like the one in your right kind of shoots out like a little electric bolt but the one in the left shoots out just like i don't know a four oh. a cannonball <laughs> yeah it's so sick and you can kill darkness zombies with it because you can't kill mm -hmm. them with normal guns. They'll eventually get up. I guess unless you eat their hearts. Oh god, we haven't talked about eating hearts. That's the one that's the best thing the darkness the the manifestation does. It's like yeah. its powers aren't that interesting, but every guy you kill, there is an option to eat heart. And mm -hmm. then the little eel head goes into their chest, comes out, throws the heart in the air, gulps it down. There are like several different animations for eating the hearts. Sometimes the two darkness heads. Yeah, they fight yeah, over they, it. Like, it's so good. Um yeah, so you get you get these two guns and then you go to uh my favorite part of the sequence and I'm pretty sure it was yours as well because we're two boys who like uh big things. Write it down. And yes, and th the next thing that you do is you go get a big fucking gun dude like, i top 10 jump scares in video game history right here i walked out mm -hmm. and i was like oh what is this big thing and before i had the time to crane all the way up to see it because it's so big it takes a while that fucking gun cannon shot and i had headphones on like turned up way loud and i nearly bust out the roof of my apartment i jumped so fucking high when this thing shot now do you are you familiar with railway guns as a concept yeah 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 because like they do exist and and i think this is this is one of these things that it's you know it's like 
like the largest piece of artillery equipment ever i think was this world war ii german railway gun which is just one of these things that's like unimaginably vast and i think it can shoot like you know 12 miles or something um but it's like that is what you essentially have here is just this comic book version of that where yeah. it's just this giant piece of artillery on a big railroad equipment and it's just once again it is proof that like setting can make up for so much pretty dull gameplay yeah that it's like shooting in here feels exactly the same as shooting everywhere else which is to say not that great but just the knowledge that you're in this like giant gun on a railway track it, it just feels so cool but it's immediately taken from you it's like a little cliffhanger because i'm like what am i about to do in this thing and then it immediately smash cuts and you're in the new york subway in the train conductor's car <laughs> yeah which makes yeah, well, me cause, think cause you get you get to the front of the the gun and you like push go on the train tracks yeah, or yeah like yeah. like you tell you tell the gun to go and yes then you wake up in the subway car there's a zombie with no arms and legs in the railway gun be like no don't do it don't do it which was a very <laughs> funny gag i really like that uh -huh. and then you wake up in the subway which makes me think was like my whole time in hell was i blacked out in new york just killing hundreds of people and it's never <laughs> right immediately... just wandering around yeah it's never immediately clear which is uh, a scary prospect i don't like the idea of that and then uh that's all we had to play for, for yeah that, week, and so. then that's the end of the section but i i agree that it's like look the moment to moment shooting of this game i am not i'm not trying to go back to that but like right i really want to know what happens i want to know what where the story's going from here because yeah. it starts with jackie saying like he's like i'm gonna tell you a story of the first time i died great line and so like we know what that is now is when you know when he when he kills himself and and goes into world war one uh hell world but now i got no idea where the story's going yeah and like i said i actively did not have fun while playing this and yet, as soon as I was done with my section for this episode, I was bummed I couldn't play more for a few days mm -hmm. because I was that into the world and story. It is not the most impressive story ever told, but this game goes to such great lengths to establish its world in which it is telling that story that it is like very it, 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 there's some incredible work going on here yeah. from Starbreeze. Um, okay, so if you had to make make a prediction about like what's what what's what's gonna happen in the coming levels i mean obviously we gotta go kill our uncle right yeah we're gonna kill uncle get that out of the way Ginny's gonna come back but i think you're gonna meet her in hell oh that's yeah. a good call yeah and her maybe she'll be is... one of those like crucified people or oh, whatever that'd be wild that'd feel like a that feel like a 1990s comic book right there for sure. Right. Um, God, I don't know. I think I think we're gonna run into a lot more tight lips Tonys and two leg Johnnies and etc. <laughs> right. And that's my big prediction. There's got to be one more big scene with Jenny, where Jackie realizing he never did this when he had the time is going to profess his love for her. Oh, yeah. That's I hope that happens. A lot of those lines we've been seeing in the uh the loading screens during the Jackie kind of monologues, they're going to show up here and they're going to be the Oh, that's last... right. Yeah, because it's like we need to contextualize where he's talking. And mm -hmm. so it's like he's in the void and he's finally getting to talk to Jenny or maybe maybe it's going to cut back and it'll reveal that like he's been talking to her gravestone the whole time mm, or that's something. good jenny's coming back in a big bad way that's my prediction for next episode jenny's back and she's better than ever um well for that next episode we will be playing the whole rest of the darkness one uh can't wait to talk about it blake anything at the end that you just want to make sure that you get out here yeah really quick if you'll allow me the stage jacob mm-hmm um, at the time of recording, this will be coming out about a month after the first episode of season three dropped. But at the time of recording, that was two days ago, 
And uh, I think it did better than our wildest expectations. Um, so just wanted to thank all the many thousands of people who popped in to listen to this. It was quite a surprise. I have been uh, over the moon for the past couple days with the reception. Yeah, to- it rules. We... Uh- we like doing this show, but uh, it's fun to know that people like listening to it. And you can send physical money to my address now. Yeah, that's right. Say that address on air. 123 Fake Street. 123 Hope Street. The same place that uh, Danny went at the end of Manhunt 2. Carcer City, USA, baby. Well, uh, until then, I'm Jacob Geller. Uh, for Blake Hester, uh, th- this has been The Darkness Part 1. Jenny, we're coming. Bye.